course, we are always happy to see the seat full. But I'm extra happy to see so many really, really, really short people. And I'm not just talking about Dagon, I mean the actual short ones. I closed the wrong tab, give me a second. Well, we're down to our last lesson in the Closer Walk with God series we've been working on for quite some time now. The idea I'm going to leave you with today is that you need to continue to grow. Growth is not something that, fin that is all finished up when we come out of the water or when we turn a certain age. It's a lifelong process. Growth is necessary in all areas of life. Business, science, industry, personal, professional, you name it, there's growth to be done. And this is especially true in our lives as Christians. Ephesians 4, 14, and 15 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other. Uh, aboundeth. And I think we could pick out quite a few more verses on the subject and the idea here would be the same. All the inspired writers are suggesting we should grow, praising people that have grown and talking about growth that is needed and growth that we're working on. As Christians, we should be continually growing. Every day we should strive to be better than we were the day before. I met an old guy that once said being a Christian is about making the next right choice. And I always thought that was a good saying. And the one to go with it would be that every day you should be a better Christian than you were yesterday. Spiritual growth must be well-rounded, balanced situation uh, when it comes to that growth. The Christian must grow in knowledge, zeal, faith, Christ-like character, good works. You don't get to pick and choose just like we don't a la carte the Bible. We need to be growing as a whole. The Christian must not be full of knowledge while his disposition remains unchristlike, It doesn't matter if you memorize every word of the Bible cover to cover. If you're a wretched person, what good did any of that knowledge do for you? This final lesson is intended to help us continue growing ever closer to God and more productive in our service to Jesus Christ. It's beneficial to be aware of those things which act as hindrances to our growth. If you're trying to grow, you don't want to have hindrances to that growth. The biggest one is a lack of effort. If you're not putting in the effort, you're not going to accomplish anything. Growing in Christ is not automatic. It's not like getting taller from the age of 2 to the age of 17. One may still be a babe after many, many years as a Christian. Hebrews 5.13 says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And there are people who are only in that state for a few short months, and there are people who spend decades in that state. And a lack of effort is a huge reason why this occurs. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, 
even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And this goes back to the growth idea. He wanted to give them stronger doctrine and more things to think about, but they just weren't growing up enough to do it. Growth requires effort, but those who are spiritually lazy will simply follow the course of least resistance. And such will forever remain babes if they do not fall away altogether. Because that's the bigger danger of being spiritually lazy. Not just that you'll stay put, but that you'll backslide. Discouragement is another one. Some people make a good beginning, but get discouraged and quit. They might start off all gun home, but it doesn't last very long. Some people make a good beginning, but get discouraged and quit. And the reasons may vary. There could be church troubles. There could be personal problems. They could have a lack of encouragement from those around us, and we could figure a whole lot of other things to fill in these blanks with. But whatever be the cause, discouragement is a huge hindrance to our spiritual growth. Consider the example of the Apostle Paul. Few of us would have ever had the problems that he had during his ministry. 2 Corinthians 11, 24-29 lists some of his problems. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. In perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fasting often, in cold and nakedness, Besides these things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? Am I not burnt? Paul went through problem after problem after problem. Anybody in today's world, for the most part, I shouldn't say anybody because that's not true. A vast majority of people in today's world wouldn't have gone through even a fraction of his list. They would have just fallen away. Man, this is just not worth it. I'm not going to do this. And it didn't matter what got thrown at Paul, Paul just kept on going. He kept fighting a good fight, he kept on pressing toward the mark. Paul did not lose heart or become discouraged at all. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not despair. Per, uh, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In other words, things are getting thrown at us from all sides, but we're still going to follow Christ. And why is that? In Paul's case, it was likely because he knew his labor was not in vain. Our Bible tells us we can know assuredly, and Paul wholeheartedly believed that, and that's why things could not discourage or sway him, because he knew that it was worth what was going, he was doing, and that it was not in vain, and that Christ was worth whatever was thrown at him. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-5-1 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of, of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
Paul knew full well that no matter what temporary thing was thrown at him in this life, it didn't mean anything compared to what was to come. And so he encouraged us not to grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Paul would encourage people to keep pressing on no matter what obstacles they ran through in life, because in due season we would eventually reap. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, Thereby, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. On top of the reasons we started with, we also have the law of disuse. If you've got a knife, if you use that knife all the time, the metal stays bright and shiny, the knife looks really good, but unused it becomes rusty. You find a knife you haven't seen and Years and years and years, that blade's not shiny anymore. It's dull, if not straight up rust-color brown. But if you use that knife every single day, it keeps it nice and clean. And that's how it is with Christians. We lose what knowledge and ability and opportunity we have if we do not use them. You stop reading your Bible and studying, your brain becomes dull. You stop praying, your relationship with God becomes strained. You stop showing up to church, the habit of not going becomes easier and easier and easier. And we can fill in the blanks with as many things as we want. It doesn't change the concept. All of these things that are part of our Christianity, if we're not using them and making them stronger, we're allowing them to become dull and even to corrode. To use another metaphor, unless we are earnest in our endeavor, we will simply drift away from the Lord. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Another law is the law of interference. Crops, trees, flowers do not grow well if they are crowded. So our spiritual growth will be hindered when we allow others to crowd our spiritual life. A businessman may become too busy to attend to God's business because they're so wrapped up in their financial business. A woman can get so occupied with what she's got going on with the kids and whatever else. House, career, along with being a mother that she may find little time for God. Young people may be so busy with school activities or even just their social life that prayer, worship, good works, Bible study are simply crowded out of their lives because other things that were apparently more important unawares took over. Preachers might get so tied down with meetings, administrative duties, or even their other jobs outside of church if they have them that they too have not enough time to spend alone with God. And it doesn't matter whether you're a stay-at-home parent or a career person or disabled or what situation you fall into, you cannot allow yourself to become so busy that you don't spend any time alone with God. Just like any other relationship, if you're not spending time with the other party, your relationship dwindles. Jesus warned about the danger of interference in Mark 4, 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We allow too many thorns to come up in our life, it's going to choke out the good things that we've all worked so hard to grow. In an effort to prevent succumbing to these hindrances, I have a few suggestions for spiritual growth. Become active in the work of the congregation. There's all kinds of work. We're not going to sit and list them all, but we all know there's always something going on. 
and I would say begin sooner rather than later. It's important not to delay. Remember the hindrances. There's some type of work for everyone. It's best to start with something you're able to handle. A good example in this church is we all come here and this place is always fairly clean. I wouldn't necessarily eat food off the floor, but it's cleaner than my kids' room for sure. But none of us ever watch the cleaning go on for the most part. It just happens. Whether you feel like you can lead singing or you just know that you're handy with a hammer and nails, there's always something that the church needs, and that's why we're such a versatile group. The Bible says if we were all eyes, where would the hearing be? And there's a reason for that. We need people who are good at all different things, not a bunch of people who are just good at one thing. There's work for everyone, and it's best to start with something that you know you're able to handle. Even the most humble service can be a source, a source of joy for those who are doing it to please God. Psalms 8410 says, For a day in the court, thy court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. John 13, 12 through 17 says, So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is no greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Even as a master, he wasn't afraid to get down and do something nice for somebody else, even if it was a little bit dirty. And the whole point was to show those following him that you should never be too high-minded to do things for other people. You can offer your services to the leadership of the church, and they'll be glad to find something for you to do and the abilities that you've shared. But sometimes leadership will be hesitant to call on people because they might not be sure if they're willing or able or confident or even want to or anything else. But let them know that you have Isaiah's attitude. In Isaiah chapter 6, he said, Here am I, send me. And that Isaiah that attitude has should be the one that we always have for anything the Lord needs. Here am I, send me. We should look forward, or we should, we should look for work needed to be done and look forward to helping the Lord. The best servant is one who can see things to be done and do them without having to be told to step, uh, what steps to take. Most of us are good critics. It's easy to say, man, that wasn't done right at all. You did a lousy job. Well, a better way to put that to good use would be to look for things that need done rather than criticizing those who try. Whenever we see something we want to criticize, we should take the opportunity to show and not tell how it could be done. Someone else's failure is often our opportunity to be of service so long as we do it right. In other words, don't criticize, energize. On another style of work, we could start programs of regular devotions, whether that be between individuals or as a church, and we have our regular stuff, and every now and then we add stuff to it. Here's the church, but anybody can start a group of study. Spend time each day alone with God, engaged in prayer, Bible study, singing, and praises. Such time consistently spent will supply the spiritual nourishment necessary for spiritual growth. And many Christians do not grow because they try to exist on a spiritual starvation diet. 
You don't have to have ten people over to have a Bible study. You can go sit in a quiet spot in your house and you can pick up your Bible and just start reading let the Lord guide you. You can find numerous Bible studies online and in bookstores. You can just sit somewhere and just pray for a while. And that doesn't take another person to be around or really that much effort more than just saying this is important enough for me to take the time to do it. We can take the time to participate in informal Bible study groups that are already existent, meet weekly with other Christians in informal settings to study Bibles. This opportunity for mutual sharing and encouragement leads to even more knowledge and spiritual growth. As much as it's easy to just open your Bible and read alone, sometimes it's nice to do it with more people who are like-minded. You guys can help each other learn. Become involved in leading people to Christ. Begin implementing the suggestions of the lessons over the last month or so on increasing opportunities to share the gospel. Even if you don't do the actual teaching, you can do what Andrew and Philip did and lead a friend to Christ. John 1, 40-46 is one of the two which heard John speak and followed him with Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when he... When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Now at least with Peter's brother, we don't really see a whole lot of his activity, but we know that he brought Peter to meet Jesus. Now look at all the things that happened through Peter as the New Testament unfolded. Could you imagine if Peter had never been brought to the New Testament? The Lord would have found another way, but Peter did a whole lot of work. And that might not have happened if his brother hadn't said, come and see who we found. Those involved in leading others to Christ rarely ever stop growing in Christ themselves. You may think, man, that's I'm not, nothing at all. All I did is invite somebody. I can't teach anything. But think about Peter's brother. If we don't have the people who simply invite somebody to hear somebody else talk, the person invited might not ever make it to church. So one job is not any more important than the other. And if you were to rate it, I would say the person inviting is more important than the one teaching because if nobody's invited, the teacher has nobody to teach at all. So don't ever think your part in evangelism is insignificant because God has each of these parts for a reason. Practice constant self-examination. The scripture calls us to examine ourselves and our relationship to Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except that ye be reprobates. Here are some questions we should often ask ourselves. Do I have a better Bible knowledge today than I had a year ago? If you're not engaging in constant study, the answer might not be what you hope. Am I interested in Jesus today? as much as I was the day that I was baptized. If you have fallen backwards at all in that, that's a scary thought and one that should be addressed. Have I helped someone else to become a Christian? 
That one's a hard one because you might talk to somebody and they might blow you off and then 30 years later, 40 years later, 60 years later, the seed you planted might finally blossom. You want you plant it, somebody else will water it, God will eventually give the increase and you might never even see it. So maybe the more accurate question would be, have I attempted to help someone become a Christian? Because even if you don't ever see them finally develop into a Christian, the seeds that you planted or the watering that you've done are a part of that process and still just as important whether you see the fruit or not. Am I enjoying life as a child of God? This shouldn't just be, it's Sunday again. i got to go listen to that loud guy talk again and he can't even sing. Hopefully it's short. I'd like to get this over with. Christianity should be fun. What do you think we're going to do in heaven? We're not going to be riding unicorns and jumping off clouds. We're going to be up there worshiping the Lord. So are you enjoying life as a child of God? And if you're not, it's not because it's not fun. It's because you're doing it wrong. Am I improving my life, my disposition, and becoming more like Christ? And that's one you could ask yourself almost daily because every day we should be striving to be better than we were yesterday. Do I set a good example for other Christians? Am I growing in such activities as Bible study, prayer, and worship? That's another one that should be growing throughout our whole lives. Self-examination is not an easy process, but true spiritual growth is impossible without it. If you don't take the time to stop and figure out where you are in your walk, you're probably not caring enough to work on growing in your walk. Though we have come to the end of this series of studies, if we implement the suggestions in this lesson and the ones that I did over the last few weeks, we should all successfully embark on a spiritual journey with Christ that will last through eternity. It's sad but true that many Christians are often just religious people. And it's, we all know it's not enough to just have religion, but the majority of people in this world who call themselves Christians are simply religious. And they're often just religious enough to be miserable. But the life of a Christian is indeed to be filled with love, joy, peace, and so much more. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Well, how can joy and peace be in there and somebody who's religious is just religious enough to be miserable? Again, if you're not enjoying your life as a Christian, you're probably doing it wrong. It's my prayer that these lessons may be used in useful in helping you to truly experience the abundant life that Jesus provides. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you're not enjoying your life as a Christian, you're probably doing it wrong. 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24 says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. The idea of spiritual growth is one that we could probably keep doing lessons on for decades to come because... Nobody has ever perfected it, except Christ, who was already perfect. We need to remember, as we're going through our day-to-day -day walk, that we're not perfect, and that it's a constant stage of growth, and that we have to keep working on it to grow, and sometimes we're going to slip and fall, and then we got to get back up again. 
As we're reminded of that thought, I'm going to offer the invitation. We always offer more together. And I try to remind people the invitation is good even when the church is not unlocked. At least the building. But if you want to respond to the invitation while we're together, whether you're ready to become a Christian or as a Christian you need your family, we're here for you as we all stand and sing.